All right, we're in uh, chapters two and three tonight of uh, Ezekiel. <clears throat> we're going to talk tonight about this subject, receiving God's call. These two chapters tell us about the time that God called Ezekiel to this special uh, message, with a special message to uh, the children of Israel, the Judahites who are in uh, Babylon now because they've been exiled. And God had a special plan and purpose for the life of Ezekiel. And he's got a special plan and purpose for your life as well. So what we want to do tonight is talk not only about Ezekiel and God's work in his life, but talk about you and talk about me and God's desire and plan for each one of our lives. And as we begin, I want you to turn with me to chapter 3 of Ezekiel and look with me at verse 10. This is sort of an introduction here, uh, this introductory verse uh, Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 10. This is where the title of the message came from. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you and hear with your ears. Father, we thank you tonight that your word is alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And Lord, we pray tonight that all of our ears will be open before you and that, Lord, we would receive your word into our hearts tonight. We thank you that your word penetrates our heart. Your word, Lord, when it is sown into our hearts, brings forth fruit in its season. And Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So, Lord, tonight we pray as our hearts are open before you, as our Bibles are open before you, speak, we pray, to each one of our hearts tonight. We receive your word in Jesus' sweet name. Amen. All right, let's look now at uh, chapters 2 and 3 of Ezekiel as we look at this subject, Receiving God's Call. Point number one, if you have your outline handy, do, did you have an outline tonight? Are they out there somewhere? Okay, good. Um, point number one in your outline is this. God calls you to fulfill His purpose for your life. God calls you to fulfill His purpose for your life. Now, He had a special plan and purpose for Ezekiel, his was to preach. God may not be calling you to preach, but he's calling you to do something in his kingdom. If you, if you already know what that is, wonderful. If you don't, perhaps you'll find out soon. But let's look at verses 1 through 7 of chapter 2. And he said to me, this is God speaking to Ezekiel, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. Then the Spirit entered me when he spoke to me, and set me on my feet. And I heard him who spoke to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day, for they are impudent and stubborn children. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, As for them, whether they hear 
or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of God, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions. Do not be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. God calls you to fulfill his purpose in your life. Well, what was God's purpose for Ezekiel? Letter A in your outline is this. The first thing that God told him to do was go. Look there at uh, verse 3. He said, I am sending you to the children of Israel. So he's telling him to go. Go to the children of Israel. Now, these were the children of Israel who had been exiled from Jerusalem and Judea by King Nebuchadnezzar some years before this, about five years or so before this, and they were now living in Babylon. They were there. There was a settlement that Nebuchadnezzar the king had developed for them. They were living out by this river called Kibar, and they were there. They were separated from their homes. There was about 10,000 of them who went during this second deportation, and Ezekiel was among those who went in the year about 597 B.C., and it's now 593 B.C., and he is beginning now to hear from God and what God is, is telling him to do. The first thing that he tells him to do is to go. Go to the people of Israel. Secondly, he says, letter B under your outline there, is not only to go, but to speak. Look at verse 4. For they are impudent and stubborn children. Now, that's kind of a strong word, isn't it? Uh, they, uh, but, but God was telling them exactly the way they were. Literally, this means they were stiff-necked or stiff-faced and hard-hearted. That's the reason they were in Babylonian captivity, because they were so hard-hearted that they would not hear God's word while they were living in Judea. The prophets that he sent to them kept telling them, repent or be sent away. Under uh, You'll receive the judgment of God. They would not believe him by and large, only a few would. And so the great majority of the people were exiled out of Jerusalem and into Babylon. So God tells Ezekiel here to speak his word. Notice what he says that they are, that he's to say to them. I'm sending you to them and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. That is what every preacher ought to have as his motto. We are to preach the word of God. There's no need for any preacher to stand in front of a group of people to say, well, this is my opinion about something. This is what I think it might mean. No. When a man stands before the people of God to declare the word of God, what he needs to do is say, thus says the Lord God. This is what God's word is. That's what the church needs today. I'm grateful that's what our church has and has for many years, but so many churches in our country and around the world have abandoned the word of God. They have gone the way of Balaam. They've gone the way of the world. They've gone the way of uh, compromising the word of God and are doing anything and everything except preach and teach the word of God. We are so blessed at our church at Bellevue to have a pastor who preaches the Word of God, to have other people here who preach the Word of God. And, you know, many years ago, 
I was minding my own business on a Sunday morning, February the 15th, 1976, at Cherry Road Baptist Church. Some of you, if you're from Memphis, been around here a long time. That was the church I was attending at the time. That's Becky's home church. I was, I was minding my own business. I wasn't getting anything out of the sermon. I had a marvelous pastor, but I just wasn't getting anything out of the sermon that morning. And so uh, I just thought, well, something's going on here. And so I just stopped in the middle of the sermon in my own heart and prayed, Lord, the strangest prayer I guess I've ever, pre- I've ever prayed. Lord, do you want me to preach? Now, why would I ask the Lord that? Because I wasn't a preacher. I was like Amos. I was not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. No preachers in my family as far as I knew of. But God had been doing some things in my life, and so it just occurred to me to pray that. I didn't get an answer. I went home, though, after church. Didn't go out to eat with my friends that I normally would. Went home to my apartment. Becky and I were not married at that time. We weren't even dating or anything. Uh, in fact, I hardly knew her at that time. But so I'm single. I'm living in an apartment. I go back to my apartment, and I begin to read my Bible and talk to God, and I'm praying and asking, Lord, are you calling me to preach or something? You know, I didn't really have a firm grip at that time. Went back home, uh, went back to church uh, on the Sunday evening. Uh, went through the service again that evening. After the service was over, went back home to my apartment. Spent the rest of the night in prayer and in the Word. And by midnight, I was convinced that God was calling me to preach. And I've never doubted that God has called me to preach. When a man stands before the people of God, he ought to have a conviction in his heart. I'm here because God has called me to preach. And I'm here in this moment because God has called me in this moment to be here to preach the Word of God. I've often said it is a privilege to preach the Word of God anywhere but it is a special privilege to preach the Word of God here at Bellevue because God's people at Bellevue love the Word of God. We have been taught the Word of God by many wonderful pastors over the years. And I thank you, by the way, for being here on Wednesday nights as we open and study the Word of God together. But that is the message that God has given to us. If we don't preach the Word of God, we do not have a message. And that is the Word that we are to preach now you say, well, Joe, that's okay for you, and that's okay for Brother Steve and other preachers. You know you've got a call from God to preach. Well, what about me? Well, that's where letter C comes in in your outline. You see that under there? It's blank also. I do not have a word for that one. That's where you fill it in. What is God's purpose in your life? I hope you know it already. A lot of you have a little silver in your hair like I do. And uh, by this time in our lives, we ought to know what God has called us to do, what he wants for our life. If you don't yet, though, it's okay. It's never too late to start. Just get with God and ask him, what is it that God wants you to do? If you're already fulfilling that, wonderful. Then you can go ahead and write that word in or those words or that sentence or whatever it is. But if you're still looking to see, well, God, what, why am I really here? I was talking to a friend of mine not long ago who'd gone through a serious case of illness with COVID last summer. He, he eventually, he recovered and he's doing okay. But uh, he said, to me on the phone when I was talking to him, he said, he said, really, I, really, I, I thought I was going to die. I almost died, but God spared me. He said, I don't know why God spared me, but he did. He wants to know what God wants him to do in his life. And every Christian ought to want that. What, Lord, what do you want me to do? And if you already know it, and if you're doing it, wonderful. If you're still looking, then I've got good news for you. God will speak to your heart 
You just get with him and he will speak to your heart. But God calls you to fulfill his purpose in your life. Now then, number two, God equips you to carry out specific tasks. God equips you to carry out specific tasks. Look with me now, picking up at verse 8 and uh, reading down through chapter 3 and verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 8, But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of the book was in it. Then he spread it out before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside. And written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate. And it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness. Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, whose words you cannot understand. Surely, had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Behold, let me stop the reading right there. That's the next point. So we've got God equips you to carry out specific tasks. What was the specific task? Well, God has already, we've already talked about that, to go and to speak the word of God to the people. But how does God prepare? God always prepares you for whatever task he has in mind for you to do, whether it's to be a missionary, whether it's to go across the street and share the love of Jesus with your neighbor, to give a cup of cold water to someone who is thirsty, whatever it is that God wants you to do, he will equip you to do that before you have the opportunity to do so. So how does he do that? Letter A under your outline, point number two there, is worship. God wants you to continue to worship him every day. We looked at that uh, chapter last week, chapter one of Ezekiel. It's a marvelous chapter where Ezekiel meets God. He said, I had, a, I had visions of heaven. And we talked last week about all those, what was involved in that vision of heaven that Ezekiel had. And then when, he, when we got to the end of the chapter, you remember what it said about what Ezekiel did? He said, I fell on my face. All of this was just too much for Ezekiel to take in. He fell on his face before the Lord, but he was in an attitude of worship. God showed him the heaven. God showed him the wonderful glories of heaven, and it was too much for him to encounter. And so he fell on his face before God. And you and I have the privilege every day of worshiping the Lord. I hope you have a special time where you worship the Lord, just you and God. You can do that, and you ought to do that every day. Take the Word of God and Read it and pray and worship and sing. Even if you can't sing well, just get in a closet by yourself. It's just you and God. Who cares how well you sing? 
You know, just, or, or if you don't sing at all, just take a hymnal and read some of the words. It'll be a blessing to you. But how does God prepare us? First of all, he prepares us through worship. Continue to be a worshiper, not only privately, but also, of course, publicly. We have many opportunities here at our church every week to, to worship the Lord publicly. Of course, on Sundays and then here on Wednesday nights, Tuesdays uh, with the women's ministry and we have uh, other meetings going on all throughout this week where you can worship the Lord with other believers, and it's a marvelous thing to do. So first of all is worship. Letter B under your outline is the Word. Get in the Word and stay in the Word. I love this passage in chapter 3 where he says to him, take this scroll, Ezekiel, and eat it. The scroll is a picture of the Word of God. And what he is telling Ezekiel to do is take in the Word of God, eat the Word of God, consume the Word of God. Let the Word of God give you the strength and nourishment that you need spiritually every day to carry out whatever it is that God's given you to do on that day. Look again at verse, uh, verse uh, 2. So I opened my mouth, and he calls me to eat the scroll. What was on the scroll? Well, look, look up at verse 10 of chapter 2. Then he spread it before me, and there was writing on inside and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. Now, scroll in that day was normally written on only on one side. It would be parchment. It would be leather uh, uh, or uh, some other material. And um, they would uh, take a writing instrument and, and carve it into the leather or whatever the instrument, or whatever the particular material was that we're using, papyrus or whatever it was. And then they would roll it up and seal it in some fashion, especially if it was a private letter to someone. They would seal it so that the only person who would open it then uh, would be the one that it was uh, sent to. But if a scroll is written on both sides, what this indicates is the amount of, of uh, the, the length of the message that God had for Ezekiel to deliver to the people of Israel. It was more than just one side of the scroll could contain. It was on both sides of the scroll. It was a full message, and this is the representation of the Word of God. And before Ezekiel could preach the Word of God, he had to take the Word of God into his life. And so God says, here, Ezekiel, eat the Word of God. And when he did, what was his response? Look at, uh, look at verse 3, at the end of verse 3. So I ate, and it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness. There are other verses and other people in the Bible who had the similar experience with the Word of God. The psalmist said in Psalm 119 uh, and verse 103 that I took in the scroll, the Word of God, and it was sweet in my mouth. And uh, Jeremiah a prophet who was a contemporary with Ezekiel in Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 16. I want to read that to you because it is a, uh, it's something I want you to hear word for word here. Your words, this is Jeremiah speaking to God. Your words are found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Is the word of God the joy of your life? It was for Jeremiah. It can be for you. I hope it is for you. Do you love the Word of God? Do you read the Word of God? Do you memorize it? And do you 
stand on the word of God. The devil points his weapons at the word of God. And if, if he can keep God's children out of God's word, either by putting doubt in someone's mind that it's not really the word of God, like the serpent said to Eve in the Garden of Eden long ago, did God really say that? Or through neglect on our part, just putting it on the shelf and letting it collect dust. You know, if the Christian does not spend the time in the Word of God, it will make us vulnerable to not just the attacks of the devil. We're always, the devil is always attacking. That's why we need to have the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the evil one. But we'll be more likely to say yes to the temptation of the devil if we have not been consistently in the Word of God. And the devil will put thoughts into your mind. He will, that's why the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, do not give place to the devil. Don't give the devil any part in your life, not a toehold or anything, because if you give him a toehold, he'll come in all the way. It's like the old saying about the, the uh, camel's nose in the tent. Once a camel gets his nose in the tent, he's all the way in. Don't let the devil even have a toehold in your life. Stay in the Word of God. The Word of God is sweet. Now, the Word of God is often strong as well. There, is, there are hard passages in God's Word. The messages that Ezekiel was to deliver to the Israelites were some very hard messages. The first 24 chapters of this book are the messages that God gave to Ezekiel to either to preach verbally to them or to act out uh, in ways that we'll get to uh, later on. But he was, to, he was to speak to the people and they were to listen, but God told him they wouldn't listen, but he was to do what God called him to do. And the only way he could do that, the only way he could preach or teach the word of God to them was if he had it in his life. And that's what he had. So there's worship, there's the word of God, and then letter C under your outline is the warning. God warns Ezekiel what is ahead for him. Look at verse four. Then he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, whose words you cannot understand. Surely, had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. God was sending Ezekiel to a people that he knew and whose language he spoke. But even though he could communicate with them that way simply by the same language that they spoke, God said, they will not hear what you have to say. Do you remember Jonah, the, old, the prophet Jonah in the old, old Testament, when God told him to go to Nineveh and preach? And Jonah said, no way, Jose, I'm out of here. I'm getting on a boat and I'm leaving. I'm going the opposite way from Nineveh. Now, the Ninevites did not speak the same language as Jonah. God was sending him to a people 
that would not understand him, but he didn't want to go. He eventually did go. God had some persuasive ways, doesn't he? <laughs> he said, okay, Jonah, if you're not going to go the easy way, I'll make it hard for you, but son, you are going to Nineveh. And so he eventually went, he preached, and what happened? The people repented from the king all the way through the people. They repented at the preaching of the word of God. And Jonah said, if you don't repent, God is going to judge you and he'll bring destruction on your city. They heard it and they repented. But the people of God, on the other hand, the Israelites who lived in Judah and Jerusalem, they had had the word of God preached to them for generations. And their heart had gotten hard. They would rather spend their time involved in idolatry, in business and commerce, and doing their own thing. There's nothing wrong with business or commerce unless it takes you away from the Word of God. But the people of Jerusalem and Judea who are now in Babylon were hard-hearted and God warned, and that's letter C there under point number two, he warned Ezekiel, though I am sending you, do not expect a big harvest of, of souls. Don't expect thousands of people to turn and repent. They won't. Here's what they'll do. They'll continue to harden their hearts. What is the definition of success in ministry? Some people have the idea that success in ministry is for those people who have lots of people saved under their ministry and baptized and, or, or people who are just, they, they got huge followings and so on. And that can be a, a measure of ministry, but it's not necessarily. There are lots of cults that have big followings. So it's not necessarily the amount of people it is whether the person who is in ministry is faithfully following the call of God on their life. It's just like witnessing. We cannot make someone trust in Jesus. But what we can do and what we ought to do is, as we have opportunity to do so, share the good news with someone in the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God. We can't force anybody to receive Jesus, but what we can do is tell them what he's done for us and share that with others. And so God gives Ezekiel this warning. Ezekiel, you do what I tell you to do, but they are not going to listen. Now then, let me move on quickly here to point number three. When you receive God's call, God calls you to fulfill his purpose for your life. God equips you to carry out specific tasks. And point number three, God prepares you to face the obstacles in your way. There are always obstacles in ministry. I didn't know what they were when I first started 100 years ago. But I got some baptism of fire and I found out. You know, I had to learn the hard way. Most everybody comes to church on Sunday morning, smiles, and they seem happy. But that doesn't mean they are happy. And that doesn't mean that everything's good with them. Sometimes people smile and act like they're happy because they think they're supposed to. Sometimes 
they're mean as a snake. And they come to church every Sunday. Now, we don't have anybody like that here, but I've seen that in other churches. But God will allow obstacles in your path that you'll have to deal with. But he'll prepare you for them. He'll prepare you to face them. Just like when the Apostle Paul uh, wrote to the church at Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 9, he said, there's a wide open door of ministry for me, and there are many that oppose me. Those two things are the two rails that every person, every Christian ought to be aware of. There's a wide open door for ministry, but it's not going to be easy. There will be people who will oppose you. Jesus said, if they hate you, it's because they hate me. And the world hates Jesus. And the world hates people who love Jesus. So don't be surprised if the world hates you. You say, what did I do to the world? You trusted Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus. So the world hates you. Satan hates you. And he'll do everything that he can to defeat you. But what does God do? How does he prepare you to face the obstacles? Let's look at the verses 8 and 9 in chapter 3. Behold, I have made your face strong against their faces, and your forehead strong against their foreheads. Like adamant stone, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they are a rebellious house. God says, I'm sending you to a bunch of hard-headed people, but don't you worry about Ezekiel. I'm making your head harder than theirs. So they're not going to crack your head. You're going to be tough. So you don't worry about them. Secondly, he gives us encouragement. So he gave him strength. That's the first letter A there under point number three. He gave him strength. I will strengthen you, which is, by the way, the meaning of the name Ezekiel. God strengths, strengthens, or God is my strength. And he, said, he says, Ezekiel, I'm going to make your head hard. That is, I'm going to strengthen you to face what you're going to be facing. Letter B there, you've already got it, encouragement, verses 10 through 15. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, receive, and that's the verse we started with, receive into your heart all my words that I may speak to you and hear with your ears and go. Get the captives to the children of your people and speak to them and tell them, thus says the Lord. There's that phrase again, thus says the Lord God. Whether they hear or whether they refuse. Then the Spirit lifted me up. Here's another way that God's encouraging him. He said, receive my words, and the Spirit lifted me up, he said, and I heard uh, behind me a great thunderous voice, blessed is the glory of the Lord from his, from his place. Here's a great word that God speaks from heaven, and he's encouraging Ezekiel. Blessed is the glory. When, when I'm sending you to these hard-hearted people, don't focus so much on them. Focus on my glory, God is saying there. I also heard the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touched one another and the noise of the wheels beside them and a great thunderous noise. So the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, lifted me up and took me away and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit. What does that mean? He is angry because the people have not heard the word of God before and they're not going to hear him now. But, he says, the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Then I came to the captives at Tel Aviv and dwelt by the river, who dwelt by the river Kibar, and I sat where they sat and remained there astonished among them seven days. This, again, is an experience for 
Ezekiel, he just could not get over all that God had poured into his heart already, and he just sat there when he got to where they were for a whole week, trying to take in, trying to process what God had called him to do and what he was going to do. So he's encouraging him, though, by the spoken word here in verse 12, uh, also by the Spirit lifting him up, and that's a picture of how the Spirit lifts us up and encourages us and helps us. Then letter C is command. God does command us to do certain things, and that's how he prepares us for the obstacles in our way. He commands us, and so we are to obey. Look at verse 16. Now it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Now, a watchman in that day was a man who was assigned by a city, by the king or the leader of the city, to stand in a certain place, either on a watchtower in the wall of the city or up on a high hill, so that that watchman would keep a watch if there were enemies that happened to be coming their way. So he could warn the people of the city that enemies were headed their way. But this is a spiritual watchman. He said, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, yet uh, he shall die in his iniquity, but you've delivered your soul. Again, when a righteous man turns from the righteousness his righteousness, and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him. He shall die, but because you did not give him warning, he shall die in his sins, and his righteousness, which he has done, shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that uh, the righteousness, uh, that the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning. Also, you have delivered your soul. What he's saying here is, uh, Ezekiel, this is a part of the call on your life. You're a watchman. And when you see someone sinning, you need to warn them that if they don't repent, God will judge them. He'll bring judgment on them. They'll die. For the wages of sin is death. But if you warn him and he still repent and he still hardens his heart, then he'll still die. But I won't hold you responsible before you, because you warned him. And so that's, that's the watchman. He commands Ezekiel to watch and to speak. So then finally, let's look at letter D here, which is suffering. God prepares his servants by allowing them to suffer. Look at verse 22. Then the hand of the Lord was upon me there, and he said to me, Arise, go out into the plain, and there I shall talk with you. So I arose and went out to the plain, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there, like the glory which I saw by the river Kibar. And I fell on my face. Ezekiel's always falling on his face. It's a good thing. More of us ought to be doing that probably, don't you think? Then the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet and spoke with me and said to me, Go, shut yourself inside your house, and you, O son of man, notice here that the people are going to do something to Ezekiel, and God's going to do something to him. They will put ropes on you and bind you with them so that you cannot go out among them. They don't want to hear your message, so they're going to bind you. They're going to tie you up in ropes in your own house. 
Ezekiel, you're going to have to suffer because of what the people are going to do to you. But also, I'm going to do something to you. Look at verse 26. I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that you shall be mute and not be uh, able to rebuke them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, He who hears, let him hear, and he who refuses, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. Here God says, Ezekiel, you're going to suffer. And we'll see in weeks to come more about the suffering that Ezekiel went through. But God is preparing him, and he wants him to know that this suffering is a part of the preparation of the prophet, the man of God, to do what God's called him to do. Someone said many years ago, it's doubtful that God ever uses someone greatly until he first hurts him deeply. God will often hurt his messengers in order that we might more fully depend on him. Now, he will never harm us. So the difference is the devil wants to harm us. He can cause chaos in our lives. Just look at the life of Job. He had, God, he had to get God's permission to do what he did to Job, but still God allowed it. But God is in the business of making strong believers. And let's just face it, can we, can we just get real for a moment here tonight? Most of us probably need problems in our lives to draw us closer to Jesus. A lot of times, we really don't draw as close to him as we could until we have to. And when we have to, we do. And the thing itself may not be good, but the drawing close to the Lord certainly is. So he said, they're going to make you suffer, but also, Ezekiel, I'm going to make it so that your tongue clings to the roof of your mouth. So when you see what they're doing and you want to rebuke them, I'm not going to let you until I put my word in your mouth for that particular moment. But when I do, Ezekiel, that's when you speak. And so when we receive the Word of God, it's because God loves us. It's because He has a plan and purpose for our lives. It's because He wants to use us to be a blessing to other people. And the way He uses that, us in that way is He calls us, He equips us, and he prepares us.